Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. But we're looking this morning at at the book of Ephesians chapter 6 verses 21 through 24. the, The last four verses of this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians announcing the the unity and peace and love and grace of the people of God in Christ Jesus. So let's once again read God's holy and inspired word, this time looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 21 through the end. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Most gracious Father, as I come now to proclaim your word to your people, would you strengthen me by your Spirit? Even as Paul prayed, Father, would you give me words in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And by your spirit, would you illumine the hearts and minds of your people that we may hear and understand your word, that we may be strengthened by your blessing. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, when you come to the closings of the letters uh, in the New Testament, um, there's often, uh, at at least from a preacher's standpoint, it's a little bit of a struggle. Because sometimes you read them, and sometimes it's just a long list of say hi to this guy and say hi to that guy and tell these people that I love them. And and, and, trying to figure out, like, what what is the sermon here can be really challenging. And, And indeed, as I looked at this, it was... It, it was challenging for me because it, he says Tychicus is coming and then he just announces a blessing. But as I read and studied, I was reminded by, by a couple of different authors that, that when we read these endings, what's reflected in them most of the time is really the, the theme of the letter that he's just written. It's kind of a very, very condensed version and, and an application in, in specific ways of what he has just written, in this case, for six chapters. And that's exactly what we find here. If we remember the the themes that have been developed uh, throughout Ephesians, there were these themes of unity, these themes of grace, themes of love, themes of peace between uh, different parties, themes of grace. And and all of that is re-announced in this summary form here. And there's a weird structure to it as as Paul announces it here. He he gives this kind of double blessing at the end. He gives two separate blessings, one uh, what what people call a peace benediction and one what people call a grace benediction, but he kind of stacks them right on top of each other. And, And so he's really announcing this double blessing from God after announcing all of this grace and and gospel. And so as we as we look at all of this. And try to, try to put it together, there's, there's kind of three things that I want us to think about. I want us to think about the unity that is given in this letter and that, is, that, that we see this practical expression of here, the peace and love that are announced, 
and the grace that is announced. So first, this idea of unity. Throughout the the letter, Paul has been dealing with unity. If we flip back to chapter 2, verse 1, we we read, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11, we read, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember that you were separated from Christ. There was a disunity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And then he goes on, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. And he talks about unity in in chapter uh, 4, verse 15, where where our our vision statement is is based on this. He, He talks about the unity that we're to grow up into together, the unity of the faith of Jesus Christ. And so all throughout this letter, he's been dealing with this reality of unity. And we see a very practical expression of this unity in the fact that he's sending Tychicus. And and Tychicus is probably uh, the guy that that, that took the letter back to Ephesus. And he probably also, when he went, took the letter uh, to Colossae uh, because Paul was writing from prison. And and so what we see here is that part of unity, one way that it expresses itself, is in mutual concern for each other. That's one thing that, that we see about the unity of the body of Christ. Are we concerned for one another's well-being? Are we concerned with, with how each other are doing? That's one expression of unity, and and that's what you see here. I'm I'm sending Tychicus, the beloved brother, faithful minister, and he will tell you everything. I've sent him for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. I mean, think about it. If someone, if there was a figure like Paul, someone that had 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 planted the church and and, and had invested in you, I mean, perhaps imagine that that for whatever reason God takes me somewhere else, and then you hear. You know, like, wait, as he's been moved on to the mission field, something happened, and he has been put in jail, not for what you would expect me to have been put in jail for, but for preaching the gospel. That, that he ended up somewhere and, and that, that, was, that was not down with the gospel, and he got put in jail. I, I think it's safe to say that y'all would be concerned about me. And you would want to know, is he okay? Or is, is there any news? Is, is he going to get out? What's the story? Undoubtedly, that's where the Ephesians were. They were concerned for Paul. Paul clearly is concerned for them. And so he sends Tychicus with this letter to, to encourage them in the gospel, to remind them of what it was that he had preached to them, and to let them know, here's how I'm doing. Because that's how unity kind of works. When we're in union with someone and when we're united to someone and and walking in, in oneness with someone and that person is hurting or that person is struggling, there's some reality to which we hurt and struggle as well. When, when we see, and, and y'all have talked about this, seeing people gone from our body because of the pandemic or hearing that, that someone is sick, it pains us. Obviously not to the same degree that it does them, but it pains us as well. When one of us loses a loved one, we all hurt, not, not to the same degree that the one who had to bury the one that they love, but, but we all hurt with them. Part of the unity is this kind of bearing of one another's burdens in this way. 
And so one of the questions that we should ask ourselves is, how, if you want to know, how do you know if you're living in the unity of the gospel with other Christians? One way is by examining whether you care what happens to them or not. Are you concerned with, with the people that are part of this body? Are you concerned with their well-being? That's one expression, just one, but, but one expression that we see reflected here of the unity that we have with one another even as we are united to Christ. Because we all are members of his body. We're all members of his body. The second thing that I want us to look at is, is the, these two benedictions that are stacked on top of each other. The first one, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this first benediction is in itself a, a double benediction. So I guess really we have this kind of triple benediction going on that he announces peace and love. But we've got to understand that, that all of this is just him reminding the people of Ephesus what it is that he's been writing. So again... If we go back to chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, we see these realities of peace being announced. Paul writes, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. Remember, there was this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, and, and, and they, they had a hard time seeing each other as, as part of the same body, and there was this hostility that existed between them because of the law and, and because of all the traditions and, and because of a lot of history and in all kinds of things. And what Paul has announced is Jesus brings all of that to an end. All of those dividing walls that, that we think exist and, and think are so strong and, and divide us one from another, Jesus brings all of that to an end. He came to make peace between the members of his body. Now, this is a struggle for us, isn't it? It's a struggle for us because we're not particularly good at it, are we? We, we love, I mean, let's be honest, our, our favorite things to write, our favorite things to read at times, if, if not all the time, are, are those things that are calling someone out. And, and not calling out the world necessarily, but calling out someone's bad theology and challenging this and saying, here's how we're righter than you are. And here's how all, I mean, it's, it's just phenomenal. An entire multi-billion dollar industry has grown up on people's willingness to, to be hostile towards one another and to, to foster hostility between people. And the church and Christians have just jumped right in and celebrated hostility right along with everybody else far too often. Paul tells us that Jesus is our peace. Not, not our, our club, that we beat people with. Not our sword that we slaughter people with. Our peace. 
Now, I get it. Look, I'm a Presbyterian minister. I like theology, and I like theology to be precise, and I like to have everything in its category and have have two catechisms, for that matter, a shorter one and a longer one, and a confession of faith on top of that, and a book of church order. I love it all being right. But I should love the peace of Christ more. I should love the peace of Christ more. And sometimes we have to admit, I have to admit, I don't. I don't. But that's what Paul has been writing to announce that Jesus has brought. This is hard to reconcile with just the reality of the state of the church, isn't it? Because as history has continued... It's hard to make the case that we've gotten more unified. It's hard to make that case at all. New denominations get started all the time. New churches get started because churches split all the time. But here Paul is announcing peace. And so we have to say, well, if this peace to the brothers, if this is what's supposed to define us, but, but we're not real good at it. Where is it supposed to come from? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's, here's the reality. When we lack peace with another Christian, when we lack peace with another Christian, I don't mean when, when we may view some point of theology differently and, and respectfully discuss it and, and, and try to hash things out. That's not what I'm talking about. When we lack peace with another Christian, it is because we are hanging on to something tighter than we're hanging on to Jesus. Every time. Every time. How, how can I make such a blanket statement. Because Jesus is our peace. And if I'm holding on to him and nothing else, and you're holding on to him and nothing else, we will have peace between us. But when we hold on to Jesus with one sanctified hand and hold on to the world with a fleshy hand, we will have strife, even with the people of God. Every time. Every time. The peace that comes can only come from God. Paul presents it in Galatians as a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. This that he's announcing here is the work of God in us. So let's pause working through these and just think about for a second before we look at love and and grace. Think about for a second the reality of what a benediction is. If we go back, and you don't have to turn there unless you just want to, if we go back to to Numbers chapter 6 and hear this ironic benediction, actually just hear the verse at the end, he says, he says to Moses, go tell Aaron and his sons, this is the blessing you shall give the people. And it's the one that we hear all the time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his, make his face to shine upon you. All of that. And then he gives the explanation at the end. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Now, one of the things that, that, that Anglicans and Lutherans have over Presbyterians in spades is their comfort with mystery. They're way more comfortable with mystery than we are. We want everything nailed down and tied up tight and ship shape and all of that. And they're comfortable looking at stuff like this and going, look, I don't know how this works. Or looking at the Lord's table and going, I mean, I don't know how this works, but I mean, there's something real happening here. I can't explain it, but we get Jesus when we come to this table. And they're comfortable looking at, at the minister's role in announcing the blessing of God and saying, I don't know exactly how it works. But when I stand up here and wave my hands and say, God, bless these people, give them mercy and give them grace. What's happening is God puts his name on us and really does bless us. That's what Paul's doing here in written form. He's announcing a benediction, not just as a, a, a pleasant closing to his letter. I've written a lot of stuff and, you know, salutations, Paul. It's not that kind of, of silliness. Paul is putting the name of God on the Ephesians. Christ is your peace. Peace be with you from him. And I can't explain the mystery of that exchange, but it's real. This is why some people, to, to remind themselves when we get to that part of the service, hold their hands out as if to, to receive something because something is really being received in that moment. So the first thing Paul announces is peace to the brothers. Then he, he continues, and love. Peace to the brothers and love. And again, this isn't a new idea in the book of Ephesians. And the idea that this love is from God isn't a new idea in the book of Ephesians. We go back to 1.15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So there Paul's reminding us of the, the love that we have in Christ. If you go back to the ch same chapter earlier, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Chapter 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Verse 15 of the same chapter. By abolish, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. Nope, chapter 3, verse 17. I apologize for being so flustered. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Again, a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. It's right there. The, the, the first thing that's announced that the, that the Spirit works in us is love. And so Paul is announcing that and, and, and putting that on the people of God once again. 
John tells us that God is love. Paul tells us in other places that, that love is the fulfilling of the law. And so he stands and saying, this one who has loved you and predestined you in that love, who loved you while you were sinners, that love be to you. May his love be on you. Peace be to the brothers and love. And then he adds, with faith. And, and what he's driving at here, and I don't think it's just love with faith. I think the peace and love both come with faith. And, and what he's reminding us of here is that these accompany faith all the time. There, there is no reality in which we believe in Jesus and live lives of utter unrest with the people of God and, and utter turmoil and strife with the people of God and, and hatred towards the people of God. In fact, if we go to, to, to John's first letter, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, we read these words. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When Paul announces the love of God be on you with faith, He's announcing both that, that the way we receive these blessings is by faith, that that's the instrument of, of our receiving any blessing from God, that that's the instrument that God uses. And even that, the Spirit works in us. But he's also reminding us that, that peace and love necessarily flow from faith. And so if we sit here this morning... And, and there's people that belong to Jesus that we hate. There's a problem. If we sit here this morning, there's people that belong to Jesus that we can't, can't stand to love. Maybe we wouldn't go as far as saying, I hate them. But I really don't want to have to love them. There's a problem. There's a problem in, in us. And again, the correction, how do we fix this? It's, it's not by saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read that definition of love. And, 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 and somehow, against all odds, I'm going to do that towards this person that I want to kick in the face. It's not going to work. You can't. You, you can't produce gospel-driven, spirit-empowered love in yourself. You can try real hard, and you can wear yourself out trying, but you won't get anywhere. The flesh is no help at all. No help at all. Isn't that an amazing statement? So where will this love for the brothers come from? Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, what we need above all else is exactly what God said he was doing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 27, when he explained the Aaronic benediction. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. What we need above all else is for God's name to be put on us and for him to bless us. Because we can't do anything on our own. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get this third blessing. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And here we see that that, that Paul has kind of sandwiched his whole letter to the Ephesians in this blessing of grace, this this putting the grace of God on the people of God. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, he began after the normal introduction, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the people in Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He opens the letter with this benediction of grace and peace, putting it on the people of God, putting the name of God via the attributes of God on the people of God. And he closes the letter with the same way, with the same blessings, peace and grace. He even reverses the order so that that nerds can get excited about the the chiastic structure and, and all those kinds of things. But he sandwiches the entire letter of Ephesians with grace and peace from God because it comes from nowhere else. It comes from no one else. Chapter 2, verse 5 of Ephesians. Picking up in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace. That's what we need from God. If we don't get grace from God, we get judgment. Those are the only options. You either get grace from God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ applied to you freely by faith, or you get his wrath and curse. There is no in-between. There is no... There there is no like, okay, well then, you know, here's some some things you need to do to make you okay with me. There is no just kind of strong lecture at the end or spanking or getting grounded or whatever and then you get into heaven. No. You either get grace from him and your sins wiped clean, and you brought into the people of God by that grace because he loved you while you were a sinner. Or you get his wrath and curse. And what Paul is announcing to the Ephesians at the beginning, at the end, and all through is the grace of God. That's what he's putting on them. Grace to you. Not judgment, not wrath, not condemnation, but grace. Grace. 
kindness, steadfast love, and all that comes with it. The favor of God on you. That's what Paul is announcing to us. Now, we've, we've got to be careful with, with this particular benediction. Because as the way it reads in, in, in the ESV, it sounds like grace might, at least one way you could wrongly interpret it, is, is to see grace as coming as a result of loving Jesus perfectly. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Well, if that's, the, if, if that's how we read this, guess what none of us get? Grace. For two reasons. One, if you have to earn it, it's not grace. There's just that simple kind of theological, syllogistic kind of reason. But two, none of us love Jesus with love incorruptible. None of us get it right. All of us, at some level, our love is defiled at some point. So, so what's going on here? What is going on here? Well, we have to remember. We have to remember where the love comes from. We've got to go back to the previous benediction. Grace or or peace be to the brothers and love from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he turns around and says, Grace with all those who are loving our Lord Jesus Christ in incorruptibility. Do you see how these two benedictions work together? He's not announcing that that if you love Jesus perfectly, if there's no corruption in your love for Jesus, then you'll get grace. No, no, no. He's reminding us first, love comes from God. That is both the love that we get from God while we were sinners and the ability to love Him. All of it, both ways, comes from God. And He's the one who teaches us to love him. Remember, the first fruit of the Spirit. And I know fruit of the Spirit is singular, the first one in the list. The fruit of the Spirit is this love. Who is it that works love in us? It's the Spirit. And what can we assume is an attribute of the love that the Spirit works in us? Incorruptibility. It's His love that He works in us, not only for each other, but even for Christ. It it might be better to, to say, because there's not actually a verb here, it might be better to say grace is with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Because that's the only way you would love Him, with love incorruptible is if He has shown His grace and if the Spirit is at work in you so that you will love Him. Because Paul is real clear in Romans 3. None of us seeks after God. None of us does any of that. Certainly not in any incorruptible way. And so we've got to be careful with what we do with this verse. And remember that, that, that as, as Moses tells us in number six, what's being announced in these benedictions is not marching orders. He's not saying, now, go be loving, go be peaceful, go have faith, go be gracious, and, and go, be, go get it all. No. He, he's 
proclaiming, he's putting the name of God via the attributes of God on the people of God. That God might bless us in this way. Even loving him with love incorruptible is part of that. It's part of him putting that blessing on us. This is who I've made you to be. I've made you to be people that live in peace with one another. I've made you to be people that love one another. I've made you to be people that that walk in my grace. I've made you to be people that love my son. As Psalms 2 says, I've made you to be people that kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When we read these benedictions, that's what we find. It's not just a clever ending to a letter. It's the pronouncement of God's name on his people. That's how we should read these when we come across them in the Bible. And that's how you should hear this benediction whenever we give it at the end of every service. It's not just a clever, fun, spiritual sounding way to bring a service to an end so that everybody knows when it's you know, okay to go eat lunch. There's something far more happening there. The name of God is being put on you by one that has been called to do that work. You are being set apart as his people week after week when the benediction is announced. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these benedictions that put your name on us. And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us by your spirit and bless us in your kindness that we might live as you have called us, that we might live as you have put your name on us, that we might live as you have shared yourself with us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be people of peace and love and faith and grace. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Paul wrote to the Corinthians regarding the Lord's Supper. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Here is this unifying meal that is set before us. We participate in Christ, in his body and blood, when we come and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I can't explain, I can't explain the mystery of it all. But Paul tells us when we, when we come and eat this and participate in that, we who are many are made one in him. We're unified. It teaches us as it feeds us on Christ to take that hand off of the world and hold on to Jesus 
and nothing else. Paul goes on in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.